0: Hi, I'm Paul Johnson. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Life Support.
1: First of all, when you have one death that's unresolved, it comes back. So there was a double whammy when Eric died. Who? What's the common denominator between two suicides? Me, right? And I'm his mother. I should have prevented Eric. My mom died because of me, so there was a lot of stuff going on in my head at that time. So I was a mess. I was just a hot mess, really.
0: That's the voice of Kim Harms who is sharing about the tragic death of her son, Eric. The name of this program is Life Support, and our goal is to provide hope if you're going through pain and suffering in your life. I'm your host, Pastor Paul Johnson from Ridgewood Church in Minnetonka, Minnesota, and again for this program, we're going to do something a little different. We're hearing from a trauma survivors panel at a recent Life Support conference hosted by our partner, Five Stone Media five stone media executive director steve johnson is the moderator for this discussion and you're meeting three very brave individuals who want to share their story so that others can begin to find hope we're hearing more from rick loftus talking about the death of his infant son and the pain and tragedy that followed for himself and his family also barbara Vernus, the daughter of a pastor looking for honest answers for the first time in her life after the death of her son Adam. And then Kim Harms talking about the tragic suicides of both her mother and her son. So now more of the survivors panel at the
1: recent life
0: support conference.
1: No shame at the death of my son. Not only that but Eric went to, he was a, a he had gone off to Columbia University so he was away in college But St. Thomas Academy, which is a Catholic all-boys military academy right down here in Mendota Heights, they brought busloads of cadets in their dressed uniforms to our church. The band played. Uh, The teachers were there. This was a school day. This was not – this was a school day. Who does that? And when Eric's um, casket – we were at the end of the service. We were going back. Uh, you know, with his casket hundreds of young men in their dress uniforms tears running down their face and starting to run down mine I think if I'm not careful but we walked down with Eric's casket and they saluted him as we walked that casket down the church was packed there were people in the back rooms so many people to honor the life of my son which is what we need when we're healing we need just the honor of that that child even though it was a suicide this is a catholic church and the baptist church together you know what the heck right (laughs) they were together and so i want to credit my pastor Zipporine, and it was a whole church because i mean i was calling them i want to know where my son was i mean i was calling them i was really a mess and the church and the pastors and the laity at St. Thomas Academy. So the Baptist and the Catholic Church, all of those people surrounded me and gave me a jump start to healing. And I have to tell you now, now the first year, I don't remember a darn thing. You're in a fog, you're a zombie. Um, The first five years, I put a smile on my face and I was crying inside. Uh, The second five years, the shroud was lifting and I was pretty, I was kind of normal, kind of getting to normal. And after 10 years, um, Eric, Eric died. 11 years ago, tomorrow, and about a year ago, I really felt that I had reached a point where I can live in the present right now. The shroud is is mostly gone. It's it's rarely there. Um, and I have six grandchildren, and they, they did not lose their grandmother with Eric's death. I remembered what my nephew said, don't let your children feel they're not enough. I worked so hard at that. And I really have to, to just thank the, all the pastors for not only allowing me to heal and live in the present and enjoy my grandchildren and have a full life, but also let me recover from my, my mother's death, those deaths together. So I have to thank the pastors and certainly I think I can stand up for an example of how it was done very well. So I'm really, really grateful. So thank you.
2: My, turn. my name's Rick, whoops, I talk very loud. July of 1995, my now ex-wife and I had a bouncing baby boy named Calvin DeForest Loftus, and people would look at us and say, "Oh, some family name." And the Calvin was after the Calvin and Hobbes comic that Bill Watterson drew. <laughs> and it was—it's either ironic or heartbreaking that Waterston stopped drawing that comic strip at the end of de- December when my son died. And his middle name, which was DeForest, is. Um, Humphrey Bogart's middle name. So we wanted, my wife and I were gonna have lots of kids. We wanted to have fun with them and that's that was the example of it. In December of 1995, he was shaken to death by his daycare provider. And in 1995, shaken baby syndrome didn't exist. Um, crib death was what it was called. And um, the two real immediate benefits that came out of Calvin's death was um, we donated his organs. Six little babies were saved. And the his medical case and the Hennepin County prosecutors, and the, they made case law out of his death that helped to further the legal case of shaken baby syndrome. So there's some real benefits of it. So it's 24 years ago, and the scary thing for somebody that just went through it two years ago or 11 years ago is that it never stops hurting.
3: I hear this from talking to parents is, we are afraid, I'm talking we, those that have not experienced what you've experienced, are afraid to talk about your kids, all right? We're, we're, there's something about, well, I don't want to bring up Adam's name, I don't want to stir anything up, but what I hear from the parents is what, Kim? You want that, right?
1: Oh, absolutely. The, the best thing that I remember, you know, like I said, you don't have memory the first year, things you just remember little snippets. but one of the best things I remember is, are people that wrote cards or told us about a memory that they had, a fun memory they had with Eric, because it made me realize that his memory is still there. and people st- I still enjoy that people still to this day will tell me of a memory, and it just brightens up my heart when they do that. So it's real important to, 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 to uh, we want to know that our our children, our loved ones, their lives mattered. And they were remembered, and so it's very helpful to do that
3: give me give me a favorite eric story
1: uh well one <laughs> there are so many um probably um one of my one of the favorite one of the favorite things that uh that was told to us uh, afterwards was uh eric, eric was involved and in, my my husband mentioned he was like the golden boy he you know, at Columbia, he was uh, he was in a student council, and he was he played jazz piano, and he did all of these things on campus. And like Columbia is not exactly a warm and comfortable place, but he was a, he was called the tall guy. the people at Columbia were telling me this. He was a he was a tall white guy with the afro because he had big hair and he was letting it grow out. And he would hug people like at Columbia. That is not usual behavior. And so those memories uh, and people would come up to us and tell us that. Uh, he used to just play jazz piano. He was in the jazz piano band. The jazz piano just on campus. There'd be an open piano. He would play, and people would come down and listen to him and play with him and do things with him. So here's an, here he was in a life that I had, had been separated from us. We didn't really know anything. You, you know, your kids go off to college. You have no idea what they're doing. Uh, and this, these were much better memories than, you know, some college memories. So, um, you know, so it, was, it was just so comforting for us to know that even when he was gone away to college up until the last... He loved. He loved it. He loved it there. Up until the very last, his girlfriend had called. Uh, uh, he he died forty-five minutes after a breakup with a girlfriend. Forty-five minutes, and he was actually calling for help. So it was that impulsive behavior that made him such a good jazz pianist. That kind of tipped the scales for him. But just those memories that he was of him, you know, away in his adult life playing piano, hugging people, making people feel good in in the middle of New York City. So I was really, that was a favorite for us.
3: How about you too? Do you have anything you want to share, a favorite
2: memory? I developed the um, unenviable uh, um, capability of being the only one that could make Calvin burp. (laughs) Um, And he threw up 50% of the time when he burped. And I did it willingly. I knew, I didn't care what kind of towel I put on my shoulder, whatever my wife would feed him, She'd hand it to me, and I'd just say, Is this the time or not? And I'd only get worried when he'd barf on me like seven times in a row. And then as soon as he was done, I'd pull him back and look at me, he had the biggest smile on his face. And I'm just, and I've heard stories of dads that are, you know, throwing their kids up in the air and they barf right in their mouth. I've never experienced that, but uh, the things we do for our children.
3: Hand the mic to Barbara. Uh,
4: What was the question? (laughs) <laughs> a favorite memory of um, oh Adam. Gosh, how do you pull one out? Uh, well, when he was five, we were driving down the road, and this is a kind of a indication of what kind of depth he had as a human being. He said, "Mom," I said, "Yeah." He said, "If God loves everybody, does He love the devil?" Mm. <laughs> and I said, "I." gosh, I had <laughs> thought of that. Um, and I said, can I get back to you? <laughs> well, he was 35 before I wrote him back. I said, you don't remember this, but I do. You were five, and here's your question. And I said, here's my answer. And I gave him the answer. Um, he was a very deep thinking person, and I think that's the part I missed the most. Mm-hmm he would text me, Mom, have you seen this? You know, conspiracy theory or whatever it was, you know, science something. Uh, He'd send me videos of people doing extreme sports, which he liked to do. Um, And his friends, uh, like you said, they, they tell me things that apparently there's a video of him jumping off a cliff, where everybody's jumping off the cliff, but Adam decides to go higher, which, makes sense knowing him, and I know where he got the risk-taking behavior thing, (laughs) Um, but his friends um, have kept in touch, and they're very good at being very uh, involved in my life, which is very sweet, and they've become friends, and for me, that tells me a lot about who he was, that he picked such great people for friends.
3: By the way, we have a whole room full of pastors here that I'm sure would be happy to answer that question for you for the next time it's answered here. yeah <laughs> look at everybody check it they gotta go um, i'm going <laughs> I'm going to ask them uh, another question here, but I'm going to allow you guys to a- ask a question as well too, but my question to you is. If you're a parent who just lost a child, walking into a church on Sunday morning, what are your fears? Ooh, I don't. Whoever wants Barb, do you want to answer that first? No, you want to take a stab at it? Why not? All right.
4: Um, because my child died of an overdose, the the shame of that is something I have to fight with because. Um, at his funeral, I actually spoke. I was the last speaker. And I spoke to his addiction and how he died. Um, and that until six weeks before that, before he died, I was one of those people that didn't understand this and thought that didn't happen to nice people from the suburbs. So um, there's an isolation to great loss that you. Don't think anybody's going to want to hear about or understand. Uh, The only people who really get me are the ones who have lost a job. Um, We're a special group. I know other people can try to understand, but they can't really. So it's hard to answer that. I'm kind of an introvert, so I don't like lots of people running at me. But one would be nice.
1: Yeah, Kim? <laughs> I just today in our little small group somebody said this and I can't remember who said this it wasn't mine but I'm going to use it now from now on somebody said that when you see somebody for the first time or, or when they're going through a tough period instead of trying to say well how are you doing today or you know having them give an answer just say um, I'm so glad you're here that I think that's a fabulous thing to say I'm just I'm glad you're here don't don't make them have
0: to respond We'll hear more from the survivors panel at the recent life support conference in just a moment. If you'd be interested in possibly hosting a life support conference, please contact Five Stone Media through fivestonemedia.com. Our partners at Five Stone also have a video version of this program available through their website and Facebook page. To check out Ridgewood Church, just go on myrwc.org or follow me on Twitter at Pastor Paul J. And now. Let's return to the panel discussion moderated by Steve Johnson, Five Stones Executive Director.
2: I think um, I'd speak for all of us and maybe the bigger group. I have a shorthand, and I'm gonna, it's going to slip, so I need to explain it to you. I call, the three of us up here have a unique T-shirt. Um, we've, we're in a group that we're, we've lost kids. I have an alcoholic T-shirt. I have an, I've been to prison T-shirt. And everybody in this room has different T-shirts that we hang in the closet and somebody, one of the therapists earlier said broken speaks to broken and that's so true because we can relate to each other, so the things that um, I think we all fear, I know you have this unrational fear that your child is going to be forgotten Um, you want to go to isolation and you really get ticked off at the things people say the kind, you know he's in a better place, the guy up in the film was talking about that and they're all, I I remember I was going to I promised I was going to write a book, Stupid Things People Say After You Lose a Loved One. And, you know, I thought that was real funny at the time, but it was I realized that it was everybody was just trying to help. And what Steve just did with us is a great question you can ask people because um, we're not afraid to talk about our kids, and you saw how we all just lit up. And because we're afraid that they're going to be forgotten, go up to them and say, you know, I want to help you remember Calvin. Can you tell me about him? I promise you I'll talk about him. Yeah, and remembering the name is a big deal
3: too. We got a couple of minutes here. Anybody have a question for these guys and gals? Yeah, what do you wish that the church, the Big C Church, would do?
2: Steve's been and Lee have been working on this for a while, and the questions come up to us a lot. What would you like to? And and I wanted to give some kind of a, an answer with substance. And my experience with the church, um, we were not churchgoers, had no connection to God. My wife's parents belonged to a small congregational church in Richfield where we held the service, and it was packed. It was about this size. There were 400 people that came to the service. I was in the restaurant business, knew a lot of people. And then about a month after the fact, I was just struggling, and her, my wife's mother suggested that I go talk to Doug, who was the preacher of that church. And so I called him up and said, can I come in and talk to you? And I realize now that this poor man was probably shaking in his boots that I was coming in to talk to him and all I can re- and I know I was there for a, a good amount of time but I remember asking him why did god let this happen and and his answer was well god gave us free will and I'm pretty sure that I was rude and belligerent and I just it was a horrible experience just horrible and one of the things that I've learned and I mentor a lot of the guys at uh, the place where I go that are working through reentry and addiction and alcoholism and I don't let them ask me why questions I I don't um, because I don't have why answers, and I redirect, and I try to steer them to what and how questions. And if, they say, if a guy said to me, why did God let this happen, I'd say something like, you know, I'd like to help you figure that out, but can you tell me what happened? To go like that. Um, the other thing i do is that um, I believe in networking, and each one of us up here wearing the T-shirt that we wear and on the premise of Broken Speaks to Broken, You know, I can talk to an alcoholic in a way that somebody that's never had a problem with it doesn't. Um, I can't talk to a meth addict about it. I can't talk to somebody that's suffered childhood sexual abuse, but I've got certain T-shirts. And if I were a care pastor, and I'm going to kind of not be afraid to speak my mind here, if I were a care pastor, I would make a list of the types of traumas. I'd come up with 20 different things. Childhood sexual abuse, had a child murdered, had a father commit suicide, I'd, I'd... come up with 20 of them, and I'd start recruiting. I'd go to my congregation, and I'd say, I'd tell them about the T-shirts, and I'd go, I want all you guys to come at me in private. Tell me what your T-shirts are. And when I know what people's T-shirts are, I'm going to put them on a list and say, would you be willing to help? Because my ideal scenario in what I would have loved to have had happen in 1995 is a couple weeks after this had happened in Calvin's memorial service, I would have loved to have had Doug the preacher call me and say, Rick, you want to have coffee? I go, yeah, I'm good with that. And however you'd want to handle this personally. And then I go in and I sit down with Doug, and there's another guy there. He goes, I want you to meet Joe. I go, hey, Joe, what's up with you? And then Joe tells me the story of how he lost a child. Because I get to look at people that have lost kids, and I get to sit down with alcoholics, and I get to sit down with gambling addicts and say, I kind of know how you feel, and they can't argue with you. And, And it perpetuates a nice conversation. So... I don't know I, know. I know that getting from point A to point B, and I know I'm not a care pastor, but this is—we're um, a resource, and all you're doing is bringing. Can I tell a quick story to to reinforce this? Um, I met a guy named Jim. He's a pastor. I met him through at the ministry that another buddy of mine and I do in reentry, and after we we got to know each other. We became friends. He wasn't my pastor of a church or anything, but we became really good friends. And about six months into our friendship, he found all about my story, and he found out how um, my son had died. And he goes, man, would you mind having coffee with me and a buddy of mine? I go, yeah, I'd love to. I love Jim. He's a great guy. And went and sat down, me and Jim and this guy named Jack. And um, Jack didn't know what was going on. He just sat there. And Jack's story was that uh, 22 years prior to um, us sitting down, um, a gang of kids had come to his house and hit him with a baseball bat. And two of them held him down on the ground. And the other four kids in the, in the gang took his son out on the front lawn and beat him to death. So this man not only lost a child, he got to watch his child get murdered. So, and, and I just sat there. And Jim didn't tell me what was going on. And I sat there with Jack. And the, almost the entire time, I'm sitting at a Starbucks holding this man's hand. And we talked for about another 20 minutes. And the reason I wanted to tell you that long story is that I have never talked to Jack since then, have no connection with him. And Jim, three or four, Jim has moved away. He gets transferred a lot with his church, the way they're structured. Three or four times a year, he texts me or calls me to thank me for how deep his friendship has become with Jack. Because Jack is so grateful that Jim brought me to that table. He just used me. There's an example of Jesus working through Jim to work through me to help Jack. Yeah. And so that's I, – I cannot tell you enough how much I believe that broken speaks to broken. And just to put my money where my mouth is, after we're done here today, if any of you want my business card, I will be the first one on your list as a care pastor to call when you have somebody that has a child that's murdered. And I will come and do whatever you can for you. And I hope I, hope I never get a call but I hope I get every call that you're connected to.
3: He means that. Uh, I'm going to just close this out. Barb, this is still really fresh with you. It's two years, right? Tomorrow. Two, two years yeah. tomorrow. What, what is, talk about what your therapy has been. Where have you spent your time dealing with this?
4: well um, I have a friend who's also a relative his name is dr. John Townsend he lives in Newport Beach and I uh, after I went to North Carolina to see Adam for the last time and uh, start cleaning up his stuff in his room and I, I went to California to spend time with John and his wife um, and I said John how do I I said I'm I, I joined a couple groups on Facebook, and these people have lost children, and I read one woman said, you know, my child died 14 years ago, and I can't get out of bed, and I can't hold a job, and my marriage failed, and my other kids don't talk to me. I said, how do I become, how do I not become her? And he said, you already aren't. (laughs) So that was a start. Um, At about five months, I thought, uh, Terry told me about a therapist and I said, okay, I'll go check in and make sure I'm grieving appropriately. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, and I had started writing on Facebook. I run four different Facebook pages for different reasons and I had started writing. Um, for an introvert, that's quite a trip. Um, and I still write. Um, I went to see this therapist and I said, well, you know, and we started talking about Adam and Um, The funny thing was that Adam's death, uh, (sighs) um, my lifetime of bad experiences had all been shoved into a closet, neatly labeled and on shelves, and I'm a very organized person, so I thought that was appropriate, and okay, child abuse, yeah, put that one up there, I thought I dealt with everything, and I Found out that that closet door got jerked open and everything went on the floor and now I have to pick it all up, look at it and go, yeah, that's what it is. And I hadn't really dealt with it. So people have asked me, um, if you could have Adam back, would you do it? And I said, no. Um, And that's kind of a, that's a bizarre thought. But he was unhappy and in a lot of pain in a lot of different ways. Um, I would not bring him back from where he is. I know he's fine. There's a sense of relief that's kind of bizarre Uh, after knowing your child's an addict for over 20 years. um, I know where he is and I know he's fine. I wrote about um, day 35, I numbered them all by days. And I wrote, where was God? And I um, had obviously prayed for my child all his life. And, I, and people would say, well, God didn't spare him. God didn't save him. Well, yeah, he did. He just didn't do it the way I wanted. Um, so therapy has been a process of, you know, the atom component is, is healing up well. It's the, everything else that it caused to fall out of the closet. It's a little messy. But
3: Thank you three for bearing your souls today.
0: Again, you've been listening to a panel of survivors at a recent life support conference. We want to offer hope if you're going through difficulties. You know, the Bible pulls no punches. Suffering will come to us all. Sometimes the righteous suffer even more than others because, as a follower of Jesus, it can be very, very difficult. But the Bible promises in Psalm 34:19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. So don't be afraid. God is with you. No matter what you're going through right now, the Lord will deliver you, and that's a promise. We'll see you next time on Life Support. Thanks for listening to this Life Support podcast.